to the Dancing Bear Enlightenment Academy podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Beverly, and today we have a very special entrepreneur with us today. Her name is Cindy Holbrook. She is the visibility whiz. Cindy is uniquely gifted at guiding entrepreneurs to thrive as they go from being the best kept secret to trusted and in-demand expert. Overcoming a traumatic past, she pulls from her personal journey to help her clients gain outrageous confidence to succeed. Today, she's going to talk to us about the three hidden fears that prevent success. Hi, Cindy, and welcome. Hi, Dr. Beverly. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. I do want to say, and I know other hosts have done this too, is they omit my middle initial. Um, that's part of my branding is Cindy J. Holbrook. Oh. Oh. Um, because there's a Cindy Holbrook Harlequin romance writer. So uh, for visibility being known as the visibility whiz, um, I don't want to be confused with Cindy Holbrook, the Harlequin romance writer. So I always utilize my middle initial, Cindy J. Okay, sorry about that. That's no problem at all. <laughs> yeah, I've never read one of those novels. I guess you don't want to be <laughs> with that. We're on different journeys. Yes, definitely. We are on different journeys and I'm never going to get away from it. I get emails quite often. Are you the Cindy Holbrook Harlequin romance writer? I'm like, no, I'm not. And I'll be releasing my own. I just releasing my own book, which is Overcoming Dark Family Secrets, which mm -hmm. is my memoir um, about the abuse wow. I endured, as well as um, my healing process and everything I did to heal and become a successful businesswoman. And so with that, too, I have my Cindy J. Holbrook with it. Cool. And that comes out this week? It comes out May 31st, 2022. May so if you're listening to this before May 31st, 22, um, I can let you, you know, you want to keep an eye out for it. And if it's after May 31st, it's going to be released. Okay. Good to know. Uh, so tell us about your personal journey. I guess that's in your book and how you started. <laughs> Why is this your passion? Um, well, I believe that everything that I went through definitely is, um, has led me to my, you know, where I am at, but I believe it's for me to be able to help other people. Mm -hmm. And all of us have had some sort of trauma in the past, all of us. Mm -hmm. And sometimes one statement that somebody says, can make a huge difference in somebody's life in one way or another. So even though my past was very traumatic, I endured sexual, physical, mental abuse by my father. I was also sexually abused by two family friends. I got married when I was 18 to a man much like my father minus the sexual abuse. And it wasn't until I was 35 years old that I even realized my life was my choice. Um, my first mentor coach, as I like to call her, she was actually my boss, but I love this woman to death, um, uh, told me, Cindy, your life is your choice. And I thought, you're crazy woman, nobody, but nobody in this entire earth would want my life. Um, I had, you know, everybody in my family had died. I felt very alone. My ex-husband at the time told me he didn't love me and he was going to stay with me because he married me for better or for worse. He was having an emotional, who knows, sexual affair with another woman. My 14-year-old daughter started getting involved in gangs, and I really felt lost, alone. I was suicidal. I was just very depressed. It's what, I wasn't in a good place. So for her to tell me my life was my choice, I was like, nobody, but nobody, but nobody would want my life. 
but she started me on my self-development journey. She asked, the first thing she did, she actually bought me some recordings from Tony Robbins. And, uh, and, she, and then she would tell me books to read. And she always told me that my life was my choice. And she was like, so if Earl did leave you, what would you do? If you didn't live with Earl, how would you support your kids? And I didn't realize it at the time, but she was helping me to visualize success. She was helping me to visualize a different life than the one that I was currently living. And um, she just all of her questions that she would ask me, what would I do? How could I do this? What did I want? Um, and again, at the time, I didn't realize what she was doing, but it was definitely my the beginning of my journey to claim my life and to start living a life of my choosing. And within 10 years of meeting her, I had started my own successful business. I met, I had divorced my first husband, met, married my current husband, who is 100% different from my first husband. He's very loving, caring, supportive, um, huge contrast between being in a, um, an abusive relationship versus a healthy relationship. So everything changed for me after she told me that my life was my choice. And, um, and so I didn't start living till I was, you know, 35 because <laughs> I didn't have any identity I didn't feel like I mattered I didn't feel like my thoughts or my opinions mattered so in my book I take you through the abuse and then I take you through my healing process everything that I did to heal going right up to um, my first when I first became a coach in 2009 and I hired my first business coach uh, Mary Allen, who is known as America's inner peace coach. And I had been told that you could only grow your business as fast as you grow yourself. Mm -hmm. However, Mary really showed me that. Um, I didn't realize that I had so much stuff from my past that was keeping me from the success I really wanted. I was successful, but nowhere where I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And, um, and she really helped me to see and helped me so a lot with a lot of things that she did to overcome things that was stuck in in that I was doing that I didn't even realize I was doing because of my traumatic past so in my book I share all these exercises of what I did exactly my whole healing process um so that is my book and it's how I developed outrageous confidence to go out there and be who I am and to be vulnerable um to show you who I am. And I know I'm not for everyone, but the people I'm here to serve definitely get me and follow me. Yeah, we're all not for everyone, but right. people who need us, they, they need us and we're here to help them. Yes. Cool, that's quite a story. So um, what's the primary struggle? You, you've been a coach for what, about 13 years now? Yes. So what, what's the primary struggle you see with the people who come to you? You know, I have a saying, um, and I'm, I will answer with the struggle, but I have a saying that every strategy will work for the right person with the right mindset at the right time. People constantly think it's a new strategy. They don't think the strategies they're using are correct, regardless what they're trying to do. If they're trying to build a program, if they're trying to get uh, new clients, you know, so they're constantly going out there looking for different strategies to try because they think it's a strategy, but it's not the strategy. It's all in the mind somewhere. Okay. And 
so I think that the biggest thing that people are doing, the biggest challenge, everybody will say is, hey, how do I get clients? But they're trying to do different strategies and they're not looking at their own mindset. Um, they're trying to do, it sort of goes along with some of the hidden fears that people have for being visible. So one of them is, um, it, well, one of them, well, I'll go, I'm going to go through this. There's three hidden fears. Number one is the fear of making a fatal mistake. Number two, it's not knowing enough. And number three, it's being found a fraud. Mm -hmm. So um, with these three hidden fears, just about every fear people say are their challenges will fall into one of these three fears that I have found with working with them. And I hear those three a lot from people. <laughs> You're probably right. I never sat down and tried to figure out what are the main fears. Because mm -hmm. yeah. I, I more focus on, on healthcare when I'm with people rather than right. coaching. So what is your secret then for helping them? Um, well, let's, let's sort of go over a little of them. It's making, okay. if, if I may first, before I secret for helping them. Because first of all, it's through talking and it's understanding these different ones. So um, making a fatal mistake, if, if this is one of your fears, some of the things you're doing is you're wasting a lot of time. Mm -hmm. um, you will spend, I actually had a client once who spent three years creating her website and it was never good enough. So it was sort of uh, for her, but she oh. kept thinking that she was progressing because she was working, right? So it's wasting time. Uh, constantly, you know, doing stuff and you're wasting time, um, uh, procrastinating, definitely. And then you, if you're afraid of making a fatal mistake, it's you also have the fear of letting other people down. So you don't want to make this a fatal mistake of letting other people down. When I began coaching, I started out as a divorce coach. And I wrote an article that Huffington Post picked up and they invited me to uh, a video panel of experts. This was the first time I was on video and I was not comfortable on video at all. Now, the article that I wrote was, should you have a friend with benefits? Should, okay, so remember this is for a divorced woman. Should oh. you have, and so after we recorded this episode in Huffington Post, they promoted it. Certified divorce coach, Cindy J. Holbrook tells all of her clients to find a friend with benefits. Oh, no. And I was mortified. I literally went to bed and cried and stayed in bed for days. Uh, I was like, my business is over. Nobody is ever going to hire me again. I'm going to have to go back to work for social services. I did not want to go back to work for social services. <laughs> and I... That's, a, that's my bird. Um, she'll shut up in just a minute. Sorry about that. But uh, anyways, after about three days, whenever I decided I was going to face the music, I got up and I looked and believe me, there's a lot of hateful comments on the Huffington Post site, but also there's a lot of good, comp, uh, good comments. And I had lots, and I mean, probably about 20 or 30 requests for people to talk with me in my email. So, you know, it sort of goes along with that. Any publicity is good publicity. So, you know, there is that contrast of the hate versus the love. And as I said earlier, we are all here to, met, to serve certain people. 
So the people that I was meant to serve got it. And this goes to, uh, you know, I always say there's only one fatal mistake a person can make. We think there's tons of them. Okay, because believe me, at the time, I thought that was a fatal mistake. Oh my God, Huffington Post misquoted me. I mean, that was big, you know? I've never yeah. been properly quoted by the press. I've been in the press many times. They all say something right. And so, uh, but the only fatal mistake would be if I would have given up. Nobody else can do that but me. If I would have just shut down my doors, that would have been the fatal mistake. If I would have said, I'm never going to coach somebody again, that would have been, but I am 100% in control of my fatal mistake, just like you and anybody listening to us or watching us is in control of their own. Because the only fatal mistake is you giving up. Literally, that's not the only trying. fatal mistake you can make in your business. Or not trying. I, have, I, I took a class on how to do summits and I've done two so far and everyone else in my class has not done their summit yet. They're still trying to get it right. Right. Again, what are they doing? They're, they're, I'm sure they're, they're, they would fall under one of these like uh, hidden fears because the other fear is not knowing enough. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I don't know enough to do the summit. So I have to get it all right because I have to know more. I have to know more before I release my website. I have to know more before I coach people. I have to, you know, know more. Um, so now some of the signs, if you, if you have the fear of not knowing enough, you big time have that fear of missing out and you're buying everything under the sun until you think you know enough. You're also, some people will 100% try to imitate another person. I use Gina Gabellini. I love Gina Gabellini. She was my mentor for years. She's my friend. But whenever I first met her, I was really drawn to her. Now, some people, they find a mentor like her and they try to 100%. Now, I can never be Gina. Gina can never no. be me, right? No, but do you know Gina? Oh, yeah. She's yeah. high energy and I'm more sedate. Right? <laughs> And I'm not as high energy as her either, but, but it was right. But on the opposite end of that, because Gina's my mentor and I've heard a lot of people do that. I can't do anything that Gina does. And that's not it either because we learn from each other. And there's a lot of things that Gina does that I have imitated over the years because I've worked with her for six years. You're not wow. going to work with somebody for six years and not start imitating. Right. And anybody, there's things that Mary Allen my first coach, um, when I started my business, my coaching business does that I still do because it became a part of who I am. So it's not really that I'm imitating them, but I heard their message so much. It became me. Well, it, it, I changed and I honorably adopt. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, something else is just, they're 100% they're just they're uncomfortable and because they're uncomfortable they try to get it perfect before they do it so all that is like not knowing enough and we are never going to know enough when you first started driving you didn't know how to drive when you first whenever you were a little kid and you seen other people tying their shoe you didn't know how to tie your shoe whenever you started walking you didn't know how to walk so how do we do these things is it's what I like to say, what I call outrageous confidence. Outrageous is doing something startling or bold. What my definition of confidence is a state of being. It's, act, it's being 
confident that you're going to do the very best you can at that moment in time. So whenever you put these two together, what you're doing may not be startling and bold to everybody, but it's startling, bold, or unusual to yourself. And it is also, um, it's something that you feel uncomfortable doing it and you put it out there. And the more you do that, the more comfortable you get. One thing a lot of us have a hard time with is like, we're vulnerable. We don't want people to see us. So we play this hide and seek game. Yes, I want to be seen online. No, I don't. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Yes, I do. Oh, you're only going to see part of me. I'm not going to show you everything. Just see part of me. Right? And we, we play this game with what we do. You don't have to share everything about your life. Mary Allen, if anybody ever follows her, she like shares everything. Um, but then if you know Alina Vincent, she shares very, very little. I'm sort of in the middle of the two. Um, there's some things, you know, that are very private to me. And there's some family members that don't want to be mentioned like online. So I'm very cautious of who they are and I honor them. There's other people, my great nephew, I think he's the cutest thing ever. Um, I haven't gotten any pictures of him lately, but I used to use his pictures and memes and all kinds of stuff because I just think he's so adorable. So, right. So it, but I know his mom doesn't care. She's like, you can use Lincoln's picture anywhere, anytime. I just don't care. Right. So, so I use him a lot because I think he's cute. Yeah. Um, and I also have a great, great nephew that I do the same thing with because I, you know, because I've got permission, but I have people in family, they don't like their kids' pictures being all over online. So I respect that. Um, but for me, again, you know, there's always these things. Now, earlier this year, I had COVID really, really bad, uh, almost died from it. And I shared my story like on Facebook, like, well, the first like week I was too out of it to do anything, but my husband was asking for prayers and stuff and my daughter uh, publicly. But whenever I could start writing, I started like posting on Facebook, sharing my journey, what was going on. Um, I lost my hair due to COVID. So if you go on Facebook, you're gonna see bald Cindy, this is a wig. Um, so I was very vulnerable, I was very cautious, especially before I got the wig and I started losing my hair. It's like, my God, I don't wanna be in video. So I started wearing hats. You may see me in a hat too. If I don't, if I don't feel like wearing the wig, they're not the most comfortable things in the world. Right? But this is me being vulnerable. It's me doing something that's unusual or bold for me is putting myself out there exactly as I am. Uh, at first it started like with me showing up on camera without makeup on. And really, I think the very first thing I did was in 2013, I went to a conference and my roommate told me, oh, your sweater makes you look fat and frumpy. No woman wants to hear that. <laughs> so what happened was she told me I would only wear that sweater like in private in your house, right? So I'm like, okay, so that's what I did for years. And it was in 2017, it was right after I morphed from being a divorce coach into being the visibility whiz. I mean, like literally like within a month of my 100% change of business. Uh, I had some errands to run. So, and I, it was cold outside. So I put on the sweater, threw it on. And I went to all these different stores. I went to four different stores. Each store I went to, a stranger approached me, told me they loved my sweater and how beautiful I was in it. Okay. And I thought, why am I letting the opinion of one person judge what I'm wearing? Right. So I went home and I had my husband take a full length picture of me wearing that sweater. And then I sent it to my email list of thousands of people. 
this was me being outrageously confident. It was, you know, so it, it can be little things like that, or it can be bigger things. Um, so you have to start doing things that make you feel uncomfortable where you become more confident. And then it's just second nature. Believe me, in 2017, I would have never pictured, posted pictures of bald sending. Just wouldn't have done it. Um, because I wouldn't have been that comfortable with it. Now it's like, hey, this is what's happening to me. So be it, you know, it just is what it is. And so you, it's, you, this you. is, first, I think I'm getting ahead of myself. It's like sort of moving out of the fears with being the outrageous comfortable. You didn't cover fear number the three. The third one, I didn't cover what? Fear number three. Yeah. Number three is being found a fraud. So mm -hmm. now you're going into the imposter syndrome. And this is like, it's like, whenever you're afraid of being found a fraud, you are really afraid of being judged. You're afraid of being rejected. And you're afraid of the hate mails and the trolls, etc. We all, you know, and there's a saying I've heard it quite a bit, when you start getting hate mails, then you know you've arrived. <laughs> you're on the right track. Okay. And now, I just shared with you what I've done this year, like since I've had COVID, sharing my bald head and all this stuff. And I've been getting like a lot of compliments. A lot of people are telling me how much they love my authenticity. So Friday, I got some hate, and just this last Friday night, I got some hate email. And it said, you are, you're just so horrible and you are the most unauthentic person I've ever seen. Okay, this is what the email said. But for some reason, this person did not unsubscribe from my email list. So I unsubscribe them for them because like, if you think I'm so unauthentic, then why are you following me? Except for to hate on me and I don't need haters. Um, so I, I unsubscribed her from the list, but it hit me just at a certain time per se, that it was like probably one of the emails that made me almost cry. I mean, I came so close to crying and I sat there and thought, do I want to reply to this person? What do I want to say to this person? Do I want to tell her, Hey, go look on Facebook with my bald head. And you tell me how unauthentic I am, right? This I'm having these thoughts and this conversation in my head. But then I thought, you know, I don't need her energy. I'm not here to serve her. So I'm just going to release her. I unsubscribed her from my list. And I released her. Then I went to bed. And then the next morning I woke up and I had two emails from people telling me how they loved my authenticity. Okay. So it's very interesting. Once you start releasing this, but once you start releasing these things, then it helped you, but it's still hard. And I don't want that energy. So after this happened, I told my VA, she is going to start monitoring all of my emails, especially with the launch of my book, because I know my book deals with heavy subjects. And I know some people have a hard time, but will have a hard time believing that I've experienced everything that I've experienced because I had a lot of trauma in my life. I had one psychologist tell me that I had the worst story she ever heard. But thank God, another psychologist told me, I've heard stories lots worse than yours. I was like, thank you. <laughs> I've heard stories. I've heard stories lots worse than mine, you know, but it was just sort of funny that the psychologist actually told me that um, uh, because my father was, uh, I don't know what happened to him in his life, but he was not a good person. 
And, um, and then my ex-husband wanted to be a good person, but had his own issues. So everything that I've experienced, I've experienced. And I know I'm going to get hate mail once my book's released. And I just don't want the negative energy. So, you know, it's, and my daughter and other people have even told me when my book is released, it's like the reviews, be ready for the negative reviews. So I'm going to read my reviews. I just don't want the personal emails, right? Um, but it's, you have, you're going to have that option. If, and don't think, hey, I don't have a VA to read my emails. Because everybody listening to this has a friend that would gladly look at your emails and erase the ones that are negative towards you so you don't have to see them. Doesn't have to be somebody that you're paying. And I've had lots of people do that where they, um, as a matter of fact, I did that with the Huffington Post. My daughter was doing my emails for a while because I was really getting a lot of hate emails. Because uh, I tell everybody to find a friend with them. Really, what I do, what I said then, is I tell my clients that it's better to find a friend with benefits than to have multiple one night stands. That's actually oh. what I said. So oh. there was a huge difference there. Yeah. Okay? There is a huge difference. And I forgot that very key ingredient of that story earlier. Um, but I did get email, you know, email. So my daughter read them all for me and she just deleted the ones she didn't think I needed to read. Um, and so you all have a friend, you know, a sister, a daughter, a brother, a husband, somebody that will read them for you. Because sometimes we just don't need that negative energy that's out there. But regardless, you have something to share with the world and you need to let go of your own fears so you can be vulnerable, so you can be outrageously confident, so you can share your special gifts with the world that's going to help others in whatever way it is. Um, you know, a lot of mine is, is the confidence to be visible, but it's utilizing the strategy. So when I help my clients, I help them with both the mental and the strategy part. Because there's a lot of people out there trying to use strategies that they hate. So they're just not going to do it because they don't like doing it. Whenever there's strategies out there that would fit their personality, that they would enjoy doing every day. So I work with my clients to gain the confidence to be visible and to show up authentically, as well as the right strategies that fit their personality, their beliefs and their values. And so that now they have an authentic business um, where they're really showing up to serve the people in the world they're meant to serve. Well, wow. So how has all of this affected you now that you've let all that stuff go and you've got over a decade of helping people um well again i'm a different person now than what i was years ago i, I talk about my friend liz a lot elizabeth and my book uh, i met her literally right after my mother died um she started working where i worked and just before my mom died we it was sort of like a, a double level and um so I remember seeing her walk across the room. Uh, up, I was like in the lower level. She was in the upper level. And I see her walk across the room. And I thought immediately, I could be really good friends with this person. So I always call she's my soulmate. I always tell her, we always tell each other we're the love of each other's lives, right? 
but it was very interesting like my energy my soul connected with her and so then my mother died and I was out of work for a week whenever I came back on that Monday she offered her condolences and asked me if I wanted to have lunch with her that was in 1992 we are still besties so it's you know we're the love of each other's lives 92 going on 30 years uh it has been over 30 years that we've been friends but she I was a basket case after my mother died mm. like totally and then I was a couple years later that I got the job where I had my boss tell me my life was my choice but Liz and I always have this thing where we say if people credit reports could see me now because I'm not the same person I was then I mean I was a disaster um I would cry at the drop of a hat I was I was afraid of everything and um and now I'm not because I have learned, I have grown. It's where I stopped letting other people dictate who I am. Now, sometimes things will creep up. A lot of reason why we are the way we are, it's not even our voices, it's other people's voices. Um, my father told me that if I ever let anybody read my writing, I would be a laughing stock. When I left my first husband, I threw away five novels that I had written that nobody would ever read because I did not want to be a laughing stock. Um, a couple years back, it was probably about four or five years ago, I had this thought in my head, or I was talking to somebody and I go, I'm just bad with money. And then I thought for a second, only one person in my entire life has told me I was bad with money. And that was my ex-husband. And I thought, why am I letting him dictate who I am, right? So when you start questioning your thoughts, is it really your voice? Probably not. Most of the time it's not. It's something that you heard from somebody that you decided was true. But if I said, hey, Beverly, your hair is purple. What are you going to do? If I say your hair is purple, what are you going to tell me? I'm going to say that's your perception. That's my perception. You're so good. I love that. Most I don't people, take things personal. I don't care what people you don't, do. Yeah, you're not taking it personal. You're like, okay, you may be thinking I'm crazy. How can you think this is purple hair? But automatically your mind rejects it. You're like, my hair is not purple. But if I tell you. To you it is. <laughs> to me it is yeah <laughs> you're so cute but you know what I mean most people don't see it that way because you have this accept or reject button inside of your head mm -hmm. you yeah. don't take it personal and that was key you reject it automatically by not taking it personal but also you have evolved enough where you're just letting me have my own perspective <clears throat> which is great because you've taken it where we all should go <clears throat> excuse me, there's a saying, other people's opinion is none of my business. And, and that's what you just did with that. Hey, she can think I have purple hair. I don't care. I know I don't, right? <laughs> uh, which is a great place to be. But sometimes if somebody tells us something like, you were really rude, we start thinking, was I rude? Could have I said what I said nicer? You know, we start like almost accepting it. But especially when we're younger and we're children, we yeah. accept a lot of things that are said to us yeah. um, uh, way too much. But it can even go on like as adults when people say things such as when never my roommate told me that the sweater made me look fat and frumpy. Yeah. Right. So we can take one thing that somebody and and that switch in our head, we accept it or reject it. So, you know, when somebody tells you something, ask yourself, you know, is this my truth? They don't have to accept what they think. They can have their perspective. I don't have to make 
their truth, my truth. Um, whenever we're trying to build a business, whenever we're trying to do anything, my sister-in-law, I love my sister-in-law, but I don't know why you wrote your book about your life. I don't know why you would want anybody to read about all the crap that happened to you. You're just really stupid. I mean, this was her exact words to me. Okay. And I'm like, okay, you know, hey, you have your opinion. That's fine. I know in my spirit, I'm meant to share my story to help other people heal. And I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Has she said that to me 15 years ago? I would have taken it as a truth, but that's her truth. It's not my truth yeah. today, you know, and that's where you want to start asking yourself, is what she's telling me true? She can have her opinion. I don't have to fight her for it. Uh, I just tell her, thank you for your opinion. When people tell me things that I don't agree with, that is my answer. Thank you for your opinion. Thanks for sharing your opinion. I appreciate it. I'm not saying I'm accepting it, but I'm not arguing with them either because can't. It's, yeah, you because lose. you can't. Exactly. So, you know, my healing process has been a lifelong journey. Something that I hate, and I've read this, is a lot of spiritual even I don't know that I've ever seen an actual medical person do it, but I've seen things out there. I can heal your trauma in one session. I'm like, no, I don't believe that. Thank you very much. I will be 63 in June. And I'm thinking sometime, well, writing the book brought up something that I had to um, deal with over the, um, you know, so it's very interesting. You always come up with stuff, but these layers of the onions will not show up until you're ready to face them and let them go. And my book actually chronicles all the way through 2019. I mean, it's like a 60 year process of abuse and the lies that I was led to believe and all of my healing processes. Now, the big one was I had to, like my father always told me, if my mother found out about the sexual abuse, it would kill her. And I spent my life acting like he was this good person because I couldn't ever tell my mom how horrible he really was because I didn't want to kill her. And that lie of acting, having to act like my father was a good man, I did not release until 2019. Wow. Okay. Just that one part of it. I had already forgiven him for the crap he had done. And I had dealt with a lot of the crap that he had done. But there was this one little thing that was really keeping me from 100% feeling worthy that had to do with my father. And also, uh, there was, you know, that per se lie that I kept telling myself, I would tell people my current husband, you know, I was always saying, my father, you know, he had a lot of good traits, you know, he was like this dual person or whatever. He, 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 he was a good person too. He wasn't just all evil. And I'm not saying he was 100% all evil. He did do some good things in his life, but it didn't outray the evil uh, in any way, shape or form. Um, but it was just very interesting how five years ago, if I told somebody my story about my father, and they would say things with some of the things my father did and said was really horrendous. People would say, man, they would say, they would call my dad names and stuff. Now, may I cuss on your show? Uh, I guess. <laughs> okay. Um, I call my dad a motherfucking bastard. 
<laughs> some people, some people doesn't think that I haven't forgiven him, but it's because I have forgiven him hundred percent and I've let go of everything he's did that that's what he was to me. I don't have to act like he was this loving, kind father. I don't have to act like he was a good person. And to me, that was huge in my healing process. It was huge in me feeling worthy of being me and of being worthy of success because my dad didn't said so many things that made me feel as a child, like I was 100% unworthy. Yeah, I understand that one yeah. really well. <laughs> Similar father. Yes. So um, I, I was reading on Mother's Day, you know, uh, how people, somebody was like, they struggle on Mother's Day because people, because her mother was horrible. Oh. And I'm like, you know, it's very interesting. We do, we have Father's Day, same thing. My birthday is June 16th, and I hate it when oh, Father's Day lands on my birthday, right? It's like, oh, I'll celebrate my dad's my birthday. It's my day. <laughs> but it's just sort of interesting because I even felt that as a kid whenever I was younger. And it's sort of interesting if I think about it. I never wanted to share my day with my dad. If he would have been a loving father, I'm sure I would have had a different feeling about it but nah um and so I have very interesting things I since my son has became a father that has been easier for me uh, not that my son's the perfect father I don't think there is but my son decided to end the abuse cycle and so um and so I love how he is with his son I just love how he is so you know so that really you know, so therefore I'm like, you know, my son is the loving father that he should be. Not that he's perfect. He's made his share of mistakes, but he has decided, like I said, to end the abuse cycle. Uh, when my grandson was four years old, he, he grabbed him and slapped him on the bottom because he had ran out in the street and he came home and he called me crying saying, mom, I just slapped my son. And I swore I'd never do that. And I was like, well, I understand your adrenaline was running. He was running into the street. You didn't want him to hit, get hit by a car, right? You know, and I'm like, that's not abuse. You know, swatting your kid on the butt is not abuse. It, it totally goes completely different than anything else that, you know, that he endured as a child, that I endured as a child, um, that his father endured as a child. So. Yeah, that's very true. It's not the and, same as being whipped with a belt or a wooden paddle or exactly you know and you was talking about the transformation in order to heal from your past regardless what it is and it doesn't have to be as traumatic as mine we all have trauma in our past our brains rank the trauma whenever you read my story you will see you will think it's a 10 because or a 10 plus because everybody does but i don't rank it that high but also i know that no people that i have helped that they've had a trauma that our minds want to rank as a one or a two. Like, hey, I was bullied in third, sixth grade and got locked in a, in a locker, right? I mean, something like that. Um, but our bodies don't know the difference. My reactions, what my body remembers, how my body reacted, how it still reacts if, if the trauma gets triggered is every bit as identical as theirs. They're just, our bodies do not rate trauma. It's our minds and our minds aren't in control. It's our bodies. Yeah. And so with that, it's, it's how do you deal with it is you have to rewrite your past. 
You can't change your past, but you can rewrite it. And once you start rewriting it and change your perspective, that's going to help you with the fears of being visible. It's going to help you be happier. It's going to help you set boundaries and just live a happier life. Absolutely. Yeah, I call it rescripting. Sometimes yes, yes. a patient will come in and they'll still I'll ask them, how can I help you? And they'll tell me the story. And I say, do you actually go around telling that story all the time? Maybe mm -hmm. we need to change that story because you'll never get well telling that story. Especially when people say my this or, you know, my diabetes or my whatever. They're never going to get rid of it because they own it. So, and, yeah. And, and yeah, I agree with you 100%. Even when I was a divorce coach. Uh, um, they would go, my ex-husband, my husband, you know, they were saying that I go, stop calling him mine, call him by his name, mm -hmm. you know, and I did that for years I go, uh, my ex's name's Earl. Um, and I just called him Earl because then I'm not associating him with me anymore. He's just Earl, or I would call him the kid's father. That's what I do. Um, yeah. I, I now just because I talk so much, I do say my ex because I'm not really owning him as much. I'm saying it more as a descriptive for you now as I'm owning that. Uh, but, you know, like you're saying with the mice, whenever you own anything like that, be it your health, your anything, you're just inviting it in. So whenever you have healed from a certain aspect, you can say it without it bringing up any emotion in your body. As I said, your body is really where everything is. So once you rewrite your story or you rescript it, you know, whichever word you want to use, you can talk about your story without it creating chaos in your body. Um, I, in 2000, I don't know, gosh, when it was, sometime or another, when I worked for social services, I filed a workers' comp complaint against them. And part of this was stress because stress, um, because this, this boss that I had, he actually hit me with something and it just, there was a lot to it, right? But I, it was stress. So they wanted me to go see a psycho psychiatrist. So I thought to I myself- you to see a psychiatrist. Yeah, they wanted me to Not see him. a psychiatrist because I was because my workers' comp was for stress. And yeah. I was saying all my stress was because of work. So they wanted me to see a psychiatrist. Really, this dude got bought off with like nothing. The guy that did a lot of stuff to me. He after he hit me, my husband got very upset. And they they put a restraining order on my husband. He couldn't go to my place of work. Wow. I don't know why they protected this man so much, but they did. So it was very stressful to me, for me working here, right? Um, and so they had me go see a psychiatrist. And I thought, okay, if I tell the psychiatrist about my past, this was probably about 2008 or so. If I tell him everything that happened in my past, he's going to see that I have overcome a lot. And that my stress is from work. It's not from my life. The psychiatrist wrote in his report, with a past like Cindy's, it's no wonder she's stressed out. I don't believe her stress is from work. It's because of her past. I was very upset about this. And then he went on to state, when she talks about her past, she has a nervous laugh. And so I, I was really like anti the psychiatrist dude. Then I started working with Mary Allen. 
And so as I was talking to Mary Allen about something that happened in my past, she told me, she goes, Cindy, do you realize every time you talk about your past, you have a nervous laugh? Mm. I was like, hmm, I did not realize, you know, and not, I still don't think the psychiatrist's assessment of me was correct. Even though there were things in my past I still had to let go of, I don't think his assessment of me was correct. Um, I actually, this is how I worked. I got up in the morning, I meditated for 15 minutes to have the mental strength to go to work. During my first break, I went to my car, I meditated for 15 minutes to get through the next two hours. At my lunchtime, I would go to my car and meditate for 15 minutes to get through the next two hours. My afternoon break, I would go to my car and meditate for 15 minutes to get through the last two hours. When I got home from work, I would meditate for 15 minutes. My husband wouldn't even talk to me. He knew, just let her go be. So I had to meditate that much to maintain my sanity at that place of employment. So it was a very stressful, um, um, a toxic environment for me to be in. And and for the, the psychiatrist to say it wasn't really bothered me. Um, and I've never had to meditate that much in my life since I left that place either. But, um, and so I was determined to succeed because that was my goal. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave this place. <laughs> um, but when Mary told me that, it did make me realize that I still had stuff that I had to let go of. So, and it also taught me, and that's why I say, when you can talk about your past without that feeling, without negative feelings coming up in your, in your body, without a nervous laugh and stuff. Um, one of the stories that I share in my book is when we were on vacation, we used to travel a lot between California and New Mexico. We lived in California, all my dad's family lived in New Mexico. It was during the summer, we were in Arizona and my brother and I started arguing in the car. My father kicked us out of the car and left us in the middle of the desert without no water or anything for two hours because we was arguing in the car. That could kill you. Yes, it could. My brother, you know, really, you know, he was 100% like trying to take care of me. It's, like I have a bond with my brother because we endured so much together, but my father was very abusive. My older brother who was still in the car, he said it's the only time in his life he ever heard my mother yell at my father. Mm -hmm. My mother yelled the whole time we were out in the desert that he better go back and pick us up. And my brother that was with me, we, he was trying to, he seen a sign that said next, next town four miles. So he was trying to get me to walk with him to this next town, right? Four miles, yeah. Yeah. It's not that <laughs> but, far. Um, but it's, um, and whenever I laughed there, that was not a nervous laugh. I was thinking just my brother, he, he was cute. But when you, but I can tell that story and I don't have the same emotion that I used to have when I told that story. Like, because it was, I was 10 years old. It was terrifying to be, 10, yeah. maybe I was nine, I was nine or 10. It was a terrifying experience for me. Um, and I know it was for my brother, you know, trying to take care of me, being the big brother, let's take care of Cindy. Uh, and my father, that is really one of the minor things that he did. 
but I can tell you any story of anything that he did without that emotion. When I was writing my memoir, my book coach kept telling me, you know, it's going to bring up stuff and you're going to have emotion. I'm like, but I've dealt with all this stuff. And what really stirred up for me, which was interesting, had nothing to do with the abuse I did, but the other woman in my ex-husband's life. That is what stirred up the emotion. So, um, so if you can talk about it and you don't have that angst feeling, your stomach, you know, your stomach isn't starting to get tied up in knots, you're not getting angry at whatever you're talking about, you've released it. Um, so one of the things you said earlier was outrageous confidence. Uh, yes. What do you mean yes. by that? And I did talk about that before. Whenever you get outrageous confidence, you're doing something that's bold or starting or unusual for mm. you to do. Oh, uh, okay. And you keep doing that. You keep doing things like this. Basically, it's it's doing something that you're afraid of doing or you're uncomfortable of doing. Mm. And it's believing that you can do the best you can. Years ago, I was on, it was in 2019, actually. We was on a cruise and my daughter talked to me going into a zip, on a zip line. I actually loved the zip line, but she did not tell me the zip line had four stations. So I went from station one to station two, no problem. I, I like fell in love with it the second I was zip lining. So I go from station two to station three with this other zip line, great. So now I'm going from three to four and there is a 50 foot cargo net bridge that was like straight up that I had to walk up to get to that station to go back to my starting point. And I, that terrified me. So what was my choice? I could go back. I could tell them I wanted to climb down and walk back, right? I mean, or I could just face this cargo net bridge and go up it. And I thought, okay, I can do it. So, I mean, the, and it was very difficult. I know the guy at station four, the, the worker person, he's like, you can do it, come on. He was like helping me. He was um, encouraging me because he could see I was really struggling. I was struggling physically and mentally, right? Because you look down and you're up however much, you know, you're just on this cargo net thing. <laughs> Uh, but then walking on a cargo net, you know, you have to like sort of hold on to the walls and it's very difficult to walk on. And so it was very hard on me physically and mentally, but this guy kept encouraging me. So me doing that again was me being something outrageous and bold because it's not something I would have typically done. Had I known that that cargo net bridge was there, I never would have got on that zip line. Uh, because of that, just because that one part of it, but I felt on top of the world once I finished it. Yeah. Like literally on top of the world. So when does your book come out again? May 31st, 2022. Oh, okay. And how can people learn more about the work that you do? Um, you can go to, if you go to cindyjholbrook.com forward slash five keys, Keys is on lowercase, K-E-Y-S. Um, you can get your five keys to feel worthy of success. So I go over the five keys and each of them has exercises you can do uh, to, um, yeah, each of them have exercises that you can do that's going to help you feel worthy of success. Because remember, you're feeling the fear because the fears 
usually there's underlying issues, underlying traumas, underlying something, somebody said something to you that you don't 100% feel worthy of success. And so with these exercises for each of these keys, it's going to help you move forward. Um, I'm trying to remember the keys offhand. I don't have them here, but it's, it's your life. It's your choice. It's setting boundaries. It is um, rewriting your past. Um, I'm trying to, re I can't rethink of the other two offhand, but with each of these, it's identifying your best self. There's little exercises you can do that's going to help you with this. Whenever you download this too, you will get on my list and you'll be notified as soon as my book is released. And if um, also you can just go to cindyjholbrook.com and find everything about me. If you Google Cindy J, the visibility whiz, you're going to find me everywhere. Okay, so that's Cindy's gift. It's at https colon slash slash Cindy J Holbrook, H O L B R O O K dot com forward slash the number five and then the word keys in lowercase K E Y S. Correct. Cool. So do you have any closing words for our audience? I think it's just love yourself. Know that you were born worthy. You were born 100% worthy. Would you ever look at a baby and say that baby was not worthy of good things? And then now remember you are that baby and you are worthy of every good thing that life has to offer. So own your worth, be who you are, and learn to let go of all the lies that you've been told your whole life about who you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to be. And what you're supposed to believe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Cindy, it's been great talking to you and thank you for being our guest. Oh, thank you for having me, Beverly. It's been my pleasure. I really appreciate it. And thank you everyone for joining us. Remember to be the light you want to see in the world. Yes, love that. Bye. Bye.